0: Let us pray. God of wisdom, as we listen to the scriptures again, send your spirit to help us hear your word with wisdom and new understanding. Plant deep within us the seeds of response to what we learn so that we may grow in your grace. Amen.
1: Let us stand for a reading of Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all God wants. To you. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. I cry to you, O Lord. I beg, O Lord, for mercy's sake. What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? You have turned my morning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. I forever. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Second, Tim, uh, Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Let us listen for the word of God. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God? Can I give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. He sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a message out to him, sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abanan, the Pharpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Raymond went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. The word of the Lord.
0: Before beginning this morning, I'd like to read from Luke chapter 10, the first 11 verses. After this, the Lord chose another 72 men and sent them out, two by two, to go ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, there is a large harvest, but few workers to gather it in. Pray to the owner of the harvest that he will send our workers to gather in his harvest. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a beggar's bag or shoes. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you go into a house, first say, peace be with this house. If someone who is peace-loving lives there, let your greeting of peace remain on that person. If not, take back your greeting of peace. Stay in that same house, eating and drinking, whatever they offer you. For workers should be given their pay. Don't move around from one house to another. Whenever you go into a town and are made welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in that town and say to the people there, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you go into a town and are not welcomed, go out in the streets and say, even the dust from your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you, but remember that the kingdom of God has come near you. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Part of the work that I do at Grace Presbyterian Church involves working as the pastoral care coordinator at our church home. Uh, We have a Bible study group that really is the highlight of my week there because we never know what will come up during our time together. We have several residents who have completely lost their filter or have decided that they probably don't need a filter anymore, so anything and everything comes up for discussion. This morning's Old Testament story is what one of our residents would call a real juicy one. The story of Naaman has lots of action and color, And I know that the Bible study group could start naming the best actors to play the main characters if it were to be made into a movie. So first and foremost, there's Naaman. We're told that Naaman was a great man. He was a commander in the army of Aram who were enemies of the Hebrew people. This great man is a celebrated warrior. They probably made up songs about his victories. He must have had a big enough ego to carry all of that. Naaman had easy access to the king of Aram and to riches and resources that most of the people of that time didn't. So the scripture is pointing out to us that this is really a powerful man, a man considered to be important. Naaman was confident and in control in every way except one. Naaman suffered from a skin condition that could not be healed. Scripture tends to lump every skin condition under the term leprosy. Uh, It's more likely that Naaman had something else that wasn't true leprosy. But it was obviously something that everyone who saw him would notice. And Naaman had no control over it. Probably, he had run out of options for a cure. A Hebrew slave of Naaman's wife spoke up, saying, it's too bad he doesn't know the great prophet of Israel, because he could cure that. Now, this girl is inconsequential to Naaman. She's just one of the many people who would have been captured as part of the spoils of war. She was considered another possession among the many possessions that Naaman and his family enjoyed. But there she was, pointing to a possible solution for Naaman. So whether it's desperation that drove him, or perhaps his wife's endorsement, Naaman decides to take the slave girl's advice. And being a man of great power, he goes and confers with his king, another man who had everything at his disposal. And being men who were used to getting what they wanted, they pulled out all the stops, and they gathered up a huge display of wealth to take to the king of Israel, silver, gold, garments. To anyone who encountered Naaman, there would be no doubt that this was an important and powerful man. Naaman had many things that proved his worth, that could be used to impress other men of power to get what he wanted or needed. He did not want to appear vulnerable when asking for help. A commander would not want to ever be seen as vulnerable. Now, when I think of vulnerable people, I remember my friend, Julie. Julie was an older woman who lived on the streets of Toronto Um, I met her when I worked at Evangel Hall uh, many moons ago. We would keep her money for her until she needed it because she was always in danger of being robbed on the street. She was known then as a bag lady because she was always surrounded by bags of stuff that she had collected. Many people would stop and talk to Julie, and she'd always want to give you something and she'd unknot the bags until she found this little loaf of bread or some other treasure that she had saved for you. Now, when Evangel Hall built affordable housing, Julie was at the top of our list for people to go into the apartments, but she wouldn't go. She was always terrified that someone from her past was trying to find her and kill her. And in her mind, it was preferable to stay on the street at Bloor and Spadina, surrounded by her things, than to be in an apartment. She felt less vulnerable on the street, in a situation most of us would find terrifying. Well, most of us don't like feeling vulnerable. And for Naaman, it would not have been familiar or comfortable. So he prepared himself to look as impressive and strong as possible on this journey, taking with him the possessions that would show his status. Of course, that worked a little too well with the king of Israel. When Naaman got to the king of Israel with all of these gifts and the reason for them, the king freaked out. He recognized the power in this demonstration of wealth, and he saw this visit and these gifts as some kind of strategy to start a war. He did not like being in this position. This man of great wealth and power was expecting something from him that he could not deliver. The king didn't think to ask for God's help. Instead, he panicked and tore his clothes, crying, am I God to give life or death? He felt very vulnerable to attack because of Naaman's visit. Now, luckily, the prophet Elisha heard about it and sent a message saying something like, keep calm and carry on, send him to me. So the king happily passes on the message, and Naaman goes off with his horses and chariots to Elisha's place. And we can assume that Elisha's place is nothing like the royal palace, might even have been a cave, for all we know. At this point, Naaman was getting a little impatient. But he waited outside for the prophet to respond. Instead, he got a servant. Instead of being addressed properly, as befitted a man of his position, a messenger came to him from Elisha. That would be strike number one. Then the message that he was given was ridiculous. The instructions were obviously a joke. Strike number two. The messenger said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Well, you've got to be kidding, said Naaman. They're assuming that their river is somehow better than our rivers at home. That's strike number three. Now, I'm not sure what Elisha's game plan was. The gold and the silver didn't seem to have any effect on him. But after all, he was the guy who witnessed Elijah leaving the earth with chariots of fire. So maybe it took a lot to impress him after that. Or maybe he's just following God's instructions. Naaman was disgusted. First, there was no personal greeting. And there was no great ceremony of healing, no, no hand waving, no magic words, no flourishes. Sort of like when you go to the doctor for a miracle cure and she says, diet and exercise are key. There's no magic bullet. Naaman thinks he's just being dismissed and he's humiliated. He is an important guy who should be treated like he's a somebody. So he gets highly indignant and ready to stomp off home. But his servants step in. They persuade him that if he was willing to do something difficult to effect this cure, then surely he could try this simple action. They appeal to his ego, and he agrees to try it. And lo and behold, he is cured. And later on in the scriptures, we hear that he is grateful to the God of the Israelites. So, aside from being a really juicy or colorful story, what are we to glean from this passage? Powerful guy needs help, gets taken down a peg or two in the process of asking for help, and then is miraculously healed by the God of Israel. So what? What does that mean for us? Well, throughout the story of Naaman, God is at work. Initially, we're told that it was actually God who enabled Naaman to conquer the Israelites. Not that Naaman would ever have realized that. God worked through the enemy of the Israelites to affect their lives. And it's not the only time that we encounter that in the scriptures. And that is something to think about. I don't know about you, but I have to admit that the last people that I would look to to see God in action are my enemies. I just assume that God dislikes all the same people that I do, and there's no grace to be found amongst my enemies. But that's just wrong because I have no idea how God might be working in them. That's why it's so frightening these days to see how polarized our world has become. No gray areas, no possibilities for grace with someone you disagree with. Much as we might like to consider it, God may well be using people or circumstances that we dislike to bring about change, and to carry out God's will for the world. Throughout the story of Naaman, God also worked through people who were considered to be unimportant and dispensable. Three times in the story, it was servants or slaves who brought the important message or caused something new to happen. These people were so unimportant that their names are not even recorded. We know about Naaman and Elisha and the kings, but the rest of the names are lost to us. They're forgotten. We too expect answers from powerful people. We admire movers and shakers. We often ignore those who are on the fringe because we assume that they don't know anything. We assume that God is like us and would go to the rich or the powerful for change. We forget to trust that God can work in and through anyone. We forget that Jesus chose ordinary people to carry out his ministry, sending them out two by two with nothing, like lambs amongst the wolves. We also forget that God might work through us. Maybe we are one of the little people who is usually overlooked. We may feel overwhelmed, inadequate, but God still may use us to bring about change and to ignite hope. The thing that we often forget is that God is working even when we can't see it or understand it. We often fail to trust that while we are in the midst of pain and uncertainty, God is sure, God is present, God is working in ways and by means that we may not understand. Jesus sent the disciples out with nothing but the gospel message. The disciples were completely vulnerable and they went. They trusted that the Lord would be with them and we need to remember that. Healing and hope will occur in God's time, and we need to hold on to that when we are unable to discern God's plan for this moment. We need to remain faithful and trusting and open, for we are in God's care, just as Naaman was. Amen.